Ready? This <laughs> volume. Wow, I can't do it. Door was shut, This is a gorilla podcast. A collection of interviews, conversations, and hangouts with some of our favorite humans. It's an opportunity for us to pull back the curtain and talk about how we all got here or are getting here, I guess you could say. No edits. That's not Just true. Just uncut conversations about things we've learned, mistakes we've made, and all the stuff that keeps us going. It's another way, we hope, to be a little more human. A little more human. To be more human. (laughs) (laughs) There's something in there. Welcome to A Little More Human. This is episode 26. Uh, And on today's podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I've got Eric Mishila and I've got Eric Johnson and myself. And we're actually going to do a retrospective because this is the end of season one. So we're going to kind of wrap up this season of A Little More Human and kind of talk about the guests that we've had, the experiences that we've had, and kind of just ask each other questions to kind of wrap up the season. How's that sound, guys? Good. So who's your favorite and who is your least favorite? Go. Who's my favorite and who's... (laughs) Least favorite. Um, Eric, the very first one. Yep. Same. (laughs) (laughs) I was so stoked on it when we did it. I remember I, I called Kate and when I heard it, and I was like, oh my God, dude, like, this sounds pretty good. <laughs> Listening back, the intro sounds great. Nice work, Kyle Campbell. An all-star. <laughs> Me and Kate talk about nonsense. I think they got more interesting as we got further and further just away got, from the I, I, The only reason why is because like, I've learned something over the last five years that I've been at Gorilla is like when you first start something, you're like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I do think it's the coolest at the time. Now that I've had way more guests on now, we've had, you know, like 25 people on here. Right. I just look at it and go like, man, I could have asked Eric such better questions. And I was just very like caught up in like, ask this specific one. Don't don't <laughs> ask the ones that are popping into my head. Like I have a roadmap, stick to the roadmap, that kind of thing. And I could have tried less hard, <laughs> <laughs> which have been really nice. Well, I mean, no, that's sort of the point of this episode, though, right? Like, right. this is a recap episode. This is, it's good. you know, kind of looking at it as uh, rounding out the season. Mm-hmm. Season one recap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a concern with the podcast that you want to sound smarter than you probably are. Oh, right? yeah. Like all of us. For I'm me, saying. there's a concern most of the time for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's what, what it is. Because there's like, always such a risk. <laughs> I mean, I say, like, I have a hard time listening back to the ones specifically that I'm on mm-hmm. because— like the one with Cole, I was so excited to hear. Yeah. You know, speaking of maybe the top guest. He doesn't have um, to work to sound smarter. No, he doesn't. No, he sounds <laughs> smart. All the, he just talks and everyone that hears his voice goes, oh, oh wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so w- I think that's the hesitancy to listen to, back to the ones I've been on because I'm like, God, I don't want to sound like a you know, moron skadoosh. <laughs> I thought you sounded and, pretty good on him. But I, you are, you're always going to be self-critical, right, of your own thinking. Like, this is the nature of our relationship, Eric and I. I would always advocate for the episodes with him on, not because I don't like doing it, but because I like listening to Eric talk. Oh, thank you. We uh, we did a road trip a couple months ago. How oh, long? Yeah. Dude, that was a record. It was. We held like South a seven-hour straight conversation without stopping. Longer you, than that. I'm not surprised. It was unbelievable. Bit. I'm not yeah. even a little bit surprised. So uh, we're going to have to curtail some things here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, wait, so I, wait, who's your favorite then? Like, wait, you said your, your favorite's Cole, for sure? Is yeah, that- I mean, as a, he's up there, for sure. Okay. There was a bunch of really great There's ones. So, oh, there was no, no bad one. Yeah, like, I really enjoyed getting to know Jill yep. and Adam on yep. those two guest ones that I got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam the one, with, yeah, the one with Evan was really great, but he's just the best... 
He's one of the best speakers and thinkers and on his feet kind of guy. Yep. Maybe a, maybe a better way to put it, because I appreciate all of them and I'm not Absolutely. trying to be like Every politically correct with this. Like I appreciate, <laughs> I really do appreciate all of them. But if I was to look back, if someone was like, which one should I listen to? Then I would say Cole for sure. <laughs> I would say John Bell's was awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm, you know, I, the ones course. that got a little farther out of our inner circle here, I think were the ones that for me got more interesting just because they revealed things that I hadn't heard before. We're learning from them, right? Like a lot of our inner circle people, we learned about them and their stories and where they came from and what inspires them and what makes them creative and stuff. But when you have somebody that's doing a very different skill set, I think our curiosity as a as a people group goes towards that. Yeah. We're curious sorts, I think. And so when we hear what John's doing or what Adam's doing or Cole outside of the quote unquote exact film media mm-hmm. circle. Mm-hmm. I think that's why we lean into those maybe a bit more. Well, Absolutely. I, I think when I look back at those, especially the ones that are outside of our media circle, even the ones that are in the media circle, like I think people in general can surprise you if you give them the chance. Mm-hmm. And I think most people, even like Lance Machma, even though like, and he, he even was like, he was very nervous to come on the podcast. And he's like, I've never done anything like this. I'm always behind the camera, et cetera. But like some of his stories, for instance, of how he got into film production blew me away because he actually, it, it's his story is so unique there. And like, the, you know, he fell in love with movies because of Jurassic Park. I'd never heard mm-hmm. those things before from him. And I had no idea that that's how he got to start because I met him in college and I had preconceived notions about how he started working. And so it was really nice to be like surprised even by someone that I already had like expectations of like, I know all yeah. of your story. And then he sits down and I'm like, I know none of your story. Um, and, and like, it was the opposite <laughs> for me. I was like, I've watched you almost die in a hospital in Russia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I yeah. yeah, I think like, but that's sort of, I mean, if we get into where we started with this. I don't know that we ever really talked about that is that was our intent um, at the beginning. And that, that's what's kind of fun about unpacking this first season, I think, is to look at it. And we said, okay, we want to do a podcast like this. Caton was a huge advocate for it. Uh, Eric and I in particular enjoy the uh, talky, rambly podcasts like the Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and Pete Holmes and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Not, not putting ourselves on that level, but we aspire to that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that we just, we get inspired by that is a better way to put it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I listen to some of those conversations and they've been extremely impactful for me, whether it's revealed something when, you know, Joe Rogan talks to Megan Phelps Roper, best interview of all time. Go listen to it. It's incredible. If you grew up in West Michigan. She (laughs) grew up in the Westboro Baptist Church underneath Fred Phelps, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was his granddaughter and broke away from the church. Yeah. Uh, It's worth digging up. But also like Pete Holmes just talking to Shane Moss about like DMT tripping. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's so fascinating. (laughs) Oh yeah. So anyway, like we like the genre. Right. But like Caton, like you really are the champion of this thing and you grabbed it and you're like, we're going to go do this. Well, yeah, I think it was February and like we had also since, I think since I started working here, we, there's always been talks of making a podcast. And I think I got to a point where like, I was like, I know I could do this. And if no one grabs a bull by the horns, this is never going to happen. Um, so I was just like, hey, Eric, next week you're going to be interviewed on a podcast. And you were like, well, I want to know what the concept is at least before we really get into it. And I, so like, I think me and Eric Heemstra um, sat down for like an afternoon and wrote some things down and then presented them to you. And you were like, okay, cool. Heemstra's the other one. I'm going to take this opportunity. Yeah. 
this dude has busted his ass. He's in the background. You mm-hmm. don't get to see him, but this guy's worked real hard. Yeah, if you've seen this. any Instagram posts on any level uh, with like little clips, that was all Eric Heemstra. Uh, yeah. yeah, me and him just looking going, yep, that one. <laughs> but so anyway, like we we dove into it. And a lot of times I think we can get caught up into like, what's the strategy? Where's the target? Who's the audience? Very important things. Mm-hmm. Not, But sometimes you just got to go do it and work some shit out. And I think like that, I, I don't know that we would have ever just jumped in had you not been like, we, <laughs> let's go. And I appreciate yeah. that. And I think that's why when I look, when I look back though, like some of those first ones are not my favorite, you know, and that's not anybody's fault. It's just that like we were trying to figure out what it is, you know, what they are. And I still, even now looking back at those first ones, I say like, and whatever way too much. <laughs> I said it more in the first couple and then you listen to yourself and like, oh shit. That's so true. <laughs> I sound dumb. <laughs> I know there was a, Ro- I remember there was a Rogan pod one time he was talking to a guy who was, gosh, I can't remember the name, but he was 30, probably 30, 31. And he used to be a huge Instagram, Twitter influence type and got taken down by his own people, by his own tribe. Anyway, really? we were talking about sort of that hate culture that exists online and <clears throat> we jump online, outrage culture. Right, yeah, that whole yeah. thing. And um, about halfway through the episode, <laughs> Rogan's just like, dude, I got to stop you. You have to stop saying like. He's like, am I? He's like, yes, I can't handle it anymore. Oh, <laughs> like, really? Like, them out right in the middle of the pod. And he did it pretty good for like 30 minutes, but then he got back into his uh, Chris. It's probably yeah. like his stopgap for his thinking. At least that, that tends to it's be the what word. That's what it it's, is uh, for me. Uh, yeah. um, that's why um, I say whatever. Same thing. Just a non-sec. Well, dude, one is thing I do that drives me nuts is when... If, and I catch in other people too, and that's why I know it's a common thing is when you finish a phrase and you don't really know how the person thought, so you just finish it with, so. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that one, and I do that a lot. I like the awkwardness that it leaves uh, me. Yeah, so. So <laughs> what did you think of that question? But getting back to that idea of starting something yeah. without really knowing where it's going. We just said, okay, let's start in our inner circle. Right. Let's work the kinks out. Let's let's interview sort of a, a handful our of friends folks here. Yeah. yeah. And then let's start to expand that slowly over time. And I think that that was successful. I think I look at the ones that I'm really into mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, it's when it started growing outside of sort of the incestual walls a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it but I think we followed a pattern and I think sometimes that's just important. You just follow that pattern and see where it leads. Yeah. Curious what you guys think though. No, I think, I mean, the the goal was to always expand. I mean, even there were some transitions like we call it, the, when we first started the podcast, it was called a little more human conversation conversations in a transmedia world. Oh, right. And, but like we very quickly that. were like, well, not many people know what transmedia means. Um, and maybe it's not necessarily that important for, the point of the podcast, which is really just to sit down with people that uh, work in the creative fields in general and media specifically was like our first target, but we kind of broadened that very quickly because media is a very broad term these days. Mm-hmm. Well, we um, also weren't delivering on the, what do you, what do you always say? Promise to, of the premise. Yeah, we weren't. Yeah, it wasn't really. Conversations in a transmedia world, they were, yeah, I mean, that was happening. It was but what we were one, really delivering on is a little more human. That's right. what we were delivering on. Right. So yep. we just dropped that moniker and then kept going in that vein, which ended up being a better vein anyways. Um, great vein. Great vein. Great vein of conversation. 
No, but I think one of the things that is kind of also important to note, the reason why we're uh, ending season one here is because like I have gotten a lot of questions like, hey, you guys are training them out weekly. This is incredible. I want to be on the podcast. Who else is coming? And all that kind of stuff is I'm actually uh, moving on from Gorilla. So like I have a new job that will be starting August 19th or 26th. I'm not entirely sure yet. And I had more, to pee in more a cup driving today. involved, uh, <laughs> which, is, like, which yeah. is a week from now, basically. Right. So, which is we are something. Oh, wow. So, you slapped yourself with that. Yeah. Something but, we're super excited about. Yeah. I'm you. very pumped for, for the next step, but I'm also like, it's a little sad because I love doing this podcast and I've had a lot of fun hosting it with you guys and doing it, but I also wanted to like actually have like a end note instead of having some. I've listened to plenty of podcasts where they don't actually end the season or they like, just leave it hanging and just yeah. People like, like what well, happened? Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to actually yeah. put a little button on it on some level, just like, hey, this is what's going on, and because we've been pretty transparent throughout the season with guests, especially, and they've been super vulnerable. So I wasn't. I didn't really want to not do the same for uh, sure at the end of the first season. So. I think there's always like a it's good uh, fear almost to try to you know protect the image of something or whatever instead of just accepting that. You know, life is a constant evolution, right? And relationships supersede podcasts or employment or whatever. So, mm -hmm. you know, whether this is the end of season one and this was a really cool 26-episode experiment mm -hmm. or it leads to something else that we all do together in the future, maybe a season two, maybe something else, who knows? Mm -hmm. I think that by naming the thing and talking about it. And like you said, being willing to be as vulnerable as, you know, the audiences that, um, or the people that have been on here. Right. I think that that's, we owe that to the audience. Yeah. To the 3,000 people that have listened. Right. To this. Yeah. <laughs> that actually seems kind of like a lot to me. Unless it's a hundred yeah. only 30 times. A fraction. <laughs> the Joe but, Rogan fingernail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah breadcrumb, eh? Mm-hmm. Or, but... Yeah, and exactly. We're trying to figure out what's next for it. I could see a possibility in the future where we figure out a way to do like a 10-episode season and we could actually do it in three three-hour chunks over right. the course of, you know, getting together at here or wherever and just doing something like that. Because one thing that's for certain is that you have been a great host and moderator <laughs> and you keep the conversation on point. Mm -hmm. And that's something that me and Eric both recognize that if we were... Maybe the one with Brent Christie. I love Brent, but maybe we went a little long and rambly and some sideways roads with that. And I remember thinking afterwards, man, I wish Kate was there to say, hey, let's get back on track here a couple of times. I felt that immediately because you and I are so accustomed to being in the interviewer role, mm -hmm. right? When we do documentary work or whatever, we're the ones running the interview. So I'm really used to being the person that has to be in charge and responsible mm -hmm. for the content. Make sure that the conversation stays, you know, interesting and doesn't meander and we're mm -hmm. capturing all the good bits. And then I sat down for this and I'm like, oh, Caton's doing that. Mm -hmm. I can just ramble and he's going <laughs> to guide me back. You know, it, it made this really fun yeah. or just for me. Listen, it took the you know, responsibility out. Yeah. I think there's like, you know, probably with Adam and stuff, there's probably 10 minutes where I don't have to say anything. It's great. So yeah, because the, the the advantage for it is like the heart. Well, the advantage. Let me rephrase this. I think it's rare that uh, for for both of you to actually be to be able to just listen, it, it, because you, either huh? one you've had to think about the edit that you're about to make with this person, or two you're thinking about the is 
lunch going to be here on time? And is everyone doing their jobs at this exact moment? Or like, there's always a myriad of things competing with the person's attention. Yeah. And like, it's really hard to like get free up anyone at any given moment to like actually just be in the role of listening. And that's one of the, it's one of the reasons why we like the medium of podcasts because it actually does provide an avenue where you can just actually hear someone speak. And when you just, when you actually listen to someone, do things can open up. Oh yeah. That's another big thing that I took away from this season is like when I was fully paying attention to what our guests were saying, um, it was light years better than when I was trying to get to my questions. I actually think, um, yeah, looking back, one of the biggest things that I learned from this is that if you go back to Lance's podcast, right? That's when I could tell he was a little nervous. And, um, but being such a trooper and he really told some great stories, but I think like what I did is what I often do in an interview, which I have a responsibility to do in the interview, right? Okay, how do I curate this conversation to get all the parts and pieces needed so that I can do a bunch of edits in, you know, underneath B-roll or something to make this thing, you know, cohesively make sense. And I think that I probably took away from Lance's ability to just tell his stories because I was like, oh man, I really want him to talk about this experience when he was in a hospital in Russia when we were there or whatever. And I think I probably tried to manipulate that conversation in a way that, that wasn't necessarily conscious of, but that's mm -hmm. what I love about listening back because I was listening back to it. I'm like, man, if I, if I had done it, if I could do it again, I would have just kind of stopped worrying so much about mm -hmm. kind of where it would go and just let him take it there rather than you know, me going like, oh, and now now you got to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I, I think one thing that's been cool that Eric's noticed, I mean, maybe you can talk about that, EJ, but is um, just the response you've heard around town. And it's humbling to, A, know that people actually are listening and care mm -hmm. to listen on some degree and also the positive impact it's had on some of our guests and stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. like we set out... <clears throat> I think we did big picture. The vision still was, okay, once we sort of work the kinks out and, you know, some of the kinks, but um, kind of work our way through this sort of internal community, when we start asking people to be on the podcast, we really did have this objective of saying, how do we elevate other people's stories, whether it's another agency, whether it's another creative or whatever, you know, how could we publicly do the thing that we talk about a lot internally, but maybe there's more ways to express it you know, right. in, in practice, how do we let people have a voice and say like, Hey, this person's doing a cool thing and let's you know, just let, let it just them be that about their story and like, and get kind of get out of the way, like actually let them be the hero. And we're like, we're not going to try and control it as much. We're just really genuinely going to let them tell their story and then we'll ask them questions about it. Well, one fear I think mm -hmm. that's always going to exist in a smaller media market, like, you know, Grand Rapids where we are, is that it's very easy to sort of get into this competitive mode because there are, you know, a certain amount of top-tier clients and a certain amount of budgets and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's really good to force yourself to go like, no, like the person is always going to be more important than the project. How do we create space to point to the good that someone else is doing instead of like, you know, worrying so much about what we're doing? You know, I think you can get really distracted just trying to cultivate your own image and your own brand 
instead of leveraging it in a way that elevates someone else. And you can say that all the time and then doing it is another thing. So the podcast, I think for me, like created this avenue to go like, no, we're we're going to do that. We're mm-hmm. actually going to go find some people doing cool shit and we're going to point at them and not just say we do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and that's where a good a good way of like maybe where the season two, and that's where we've had we have had some of those conversations, and there's there are so many people doing some really incredible things in Grand Rapids that it'd be wonderful to sit down with them and have conversations about from Eric Kuiper like at Studio Park, like what they're doing down there, and I mean there's so many different agencies in town that we didn't even get the chance to sit down with, but they were kind of slated for it, but. That doesn't mean that, that it couldn't exist in the future or we couldn't do it a different way. Um, I could probably do a 10-part series with just Slane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just Slane. Like, one episode per project. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I've been talking about this Chris Mathis, who's a friend of Cole's. Yeah, and that's someone that I really GR. wanted to sit like, down with. He's got an incredible story. Um, Chris Cosmo is a working screenwriter in town. There's a lot of people yet that I would like to keep thinking about talking to. So that's something I think is that, you know, as much as you have your finger on the pulse of, or you think you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on, that's cool. You know, especially like, oh, we're in a creative industry. We're doing, you know, creative projects and all that sort of stuff. It's amazing once you start just listening a little bit more, how much you realize you don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know, how many other cool things are taking place? Oh yeah, Hannah Berry was a really great, person for that and yeah it's like the, her her event that she was doing Creston after dark and the work that she does on a daily basis of trying to connect to the art community with the commerce community in town like the business community and like bridging the gap between understanding of those worlds like they're they're there that work is really important and we probably wouldn't have heard about it unless Anna would have told her story I think that's what I think that's why I like the medium so much and probably why those other people that I listed are so inspiring to me because I think that there's sort of like an irony to it where the interviewers become more interesting when they take the spotlight off themselves, right? So you think of it as like, oh, yeah, we're going to run this thing and it's going to be cool. But the reality is is that the more you can just shift the spotlight to someone that you're trying to give a platform to, the more interesting it becomes. And I think we learned that. Or I I would say I learned that more Mm -hmm. as it went on. Mm -hmm. Oh, for Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, that, that there was a turn after episode 13, I think, where that definitely started to take more precedence. And I think we brought more intentionality after that that point as well of sh- highlighting other people's stories a heck of a lot more and, like, really taking the time to listen. Um, a question for both of you that I'm super curious about. When it comes to, I mean, a lot is kind of changing around Gorilla. Is there any of that, that you'd like to share with the audience in general? I mean, like, we've... I'm moving on. There's other people that are moving on from Gorilla. We're kind of taking some next steps in our personal lives. Is there anything that you'd like the audience to know in general right now that you'd like to share? I think that one, th- maybe maybe more about the industry in general is like, how does this work, right? How do you... Yeah, well, let, sorry, let me phrase it because I th- here's here's the reason why I'm asking this question. There's a perception about Gorilla that Gorilla makes shitloads of money and sits on this mountain that is un, that is untouchable and can't be hurt. And that is just so woefully untrue on so many levels. But there's just ideas that people get in their heads about like, oh, Gorilla's doing this indie short uh, film 
and they're asking people to work for free on it. What the fuck? <laughs> they, like, why in the they meantime, just... we've saved for eight years to no, lose no, our not, money. I'm not on even it. talking about like Camp Mana. I'm talking about like other <laughs> yeah, projects. But there's yeah, like yeah. there's forums when like when you know like yeah. John John's come back from New York to like produce something. He's like, hey, yeah. we need extras. No, we we're not going to pay the extras for it. And but there are people like, what the hell? Grillo's got all this money. Why aren't they paying? And I'm just sitting yeah. there like, no one knows what's really happening behind the curtain. And that's, I mean, because we, I mean, historically, Gorilla's not really like, hey, here's our curtain. You can see all the, you can see behind mm -hmm. it. Well, here's I the think wizard, the nature you know of I mean? branding, right? The nature of branding is that you want to promote the, you want to promote what you can do, which at sometimes is odd, at odds with what you are doing, right? We always say sort of, um, you know, the stuff that doesn't end up on the demo reel. You know, mm. every production, if a production company or a creative agency tells you that, you know, the stuff you see is the only stuff they do to make money. Like, it's just not, it's just not true. Mm -hmm. Like, there are things that you elevate to present an image of yourself. And that doesn't always have to be ego. That's not ego. It's just, just saying, like, this is what we're yeah. capable of. You, yeah. of this course, is the kind of work we want to pursue more of. Absolutely. Oftentimes what the demo reel is, not necessarily the stuff that's paying all the the electric bills, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and oftentimes <clears throat> it's stuff that, you know, for us, a lot of times the stuff that's led to really interesting conversations and perhaps a seat at the table has been stuff that we've lost money on. You know what I mean? Like GRLA projects or whatever, just paying to play, paying to learn, mm -hmm. you know, trying to figure out is there a way to make, you know, intellectual property, quote unquote, you know, in the in the Movies. entertainment sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, in but live in West Michigan, which is you know fairly illogical, right? These sorts of things, right? Um, a lot of times that looks different because, of course, we're trying to promote it. Of course, we're trying to sell a product mm -hmm. or you know mm -hmm. a capability. But the mm -hmm. reality is, is that there's always cost associated with those, you know, growth that that growth happening. Mm -hmm. But right now, no, I think the thing that I would talk about um, is that that it's an interesting industry and I, I haven't been through it enough to know, right? It's been 15 years since we started Gorilla. Am I right about that? 15? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? But at that first, point, it was just you two. First mm -hmm. six years are me and Eric, just the two of us running around the world on airplanes and, you know, mm -hmm. filming documentary stuff, two-man band type of thing. So I don't really count that. But the remaining years, like as we sort of reacted to what was going on, have been really fun and really challenging and we've learned a ton. But along the way, I think we've only seen one cycle of what, uh, uh, like one marketing cycle. And some of the old, the more experienced um, ad, ad people in town, what, what I've heard from them that's really interesting is just like the way that cycles work sort of adverse of the economic cycles, right? So, Again, I don't know how much of this is true, but it is fascinating to me, this idea that when the economy does well, then, you know, it creates other dynamics where a company will do more in-house. They'll uh, focus more on, you know, different aspects of marketing. Mm -hmm. And then when the economy does worse, like you sort of have more things being outsourced and stuff like that. It's interesting to see, like, as we go through this, to know like, okay, what are those shifts? What are those cycles? Because I still feel like we're kind of in the first one. So 
for us, our process hasn't changed and our ability to create things hasn't changed, but we've now been through a full cycle of going, well, what does it look like to be in a super reactive sort of node-based agile model? What does it look like to sort of push to the opposite end of that mm-hmm. and be in a more structured uh, model where you're sort of like feeding things into the pipeline? And like, are there cycles to that? You know, mm-hmm. can you survive those cycles? Those are questions I think that are out in front of us now. Yeah, I, I think when we were coming up, <clears throat> the first couple projects we did were on 16 millimeter because film was still kind of mm-hmm. king. Mm-hmm. And we were catching a wave when we were young enough, hungry enough, and quite frankly, inexperienced enough that our skill set and company met a budget that was a new sort of budget that people who were making stuff in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s weren't used to. Because they were always shooting 35. It was, you know, it was, they were artists and those budgets were very large. Right. And they were demanding that sort of budget number. But when things started to shift to digital, right, that was a big change Mm -hmm. in the market. Now we're in a position right now where things are starting to shift to social. You know, we just did a great campaign with Meyer for their back to school. Mm-hmm. Gosh, how many deliverables did we make? 28 or something? Right. And a hand, half of them were seven seconds or less in nine by 16 mm-hmm. vertical framing. Mm-hmm. So there's like a shift happening where those sort of things are are changing the costs and the budgets and stuff. And, and we're in a new media, a transmedia world. <laughs> you brought it back. Nice. Well, that's, I mean, that's what yeah. I want to touch on because like, I know it's hard. these are tricky subjects and they're very much like, I know they're touchy because like, well, obviously Gorilla is going through some changes and that's okay. Yeah. And that's part of the journey. And that's, I mean, part of why I'm moving on. And that's, I have nothing but love for Gorilla and I have nothing but love for the time that I've been here. I've been here for five years. So like I, I and beyond that, I've known you guys since you first got those cameras and were traipsing around the world <laughs> in, in Poland. So like, it's really, it's fascinating to see the cycles that have come and gone and like the influx of like all these crazy projects and then like, you know, oh, we're going to make this movie. And it took you 10 years to actually be able to get to that stage to make that movie. And then you got that dream and you both got the shit kicked out of you to make that dream a reality. Um, like there's just, it's, I, I have this weird perspective of sitting here and being able to see all this stuff and being able to contribute where I can, but then also like, and like know that, oh, it's time to turn the page a little bit too and kind of take a step into the next chapter, which is weird at the same time. <laughs> um, but it's it's this thing that I think we've talked about this a lot over the last five years when you've been here, right? This idea of like, what is a brand, right? And like, I, I've always felt like it's a, it's misdirection to think of a brand in terms of like, what is its sort of institutional infrastructure, right? Big or small, like the people are the brand, the ideology is the brand, the mindset is the brand, right? Mm -hmm. So in some ways, when I say like, I'm super stoked for what's next for you, like you're going to carry those aspects with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's things we've done together that have formed all of us, and those get carried into new places. And that's cool because I'm proud of those things. At the same time, like I look at what we're capable of and what we're capable of isn't about, you know, certain size infrastructure or Mm -hmm. certain ways of working, agile versus more, you know, standard or whatever. It, It just, it's about what we've learned and it's about what we're capable of um, from the experience that we have. I mean, like Eric and I, I remember that 
first week, I think, we were back from Mana. Mm-hmm. And we had just made Camp Mana, and we were dead. You're I mean, both dead. Dead. Like dead, dead. And I think one of us, I don't even remember who, but one of us said, like, the irony of this is, is that we've never been more qualified to make a movie than right now. And the last thing I want to do is make a movie right now. <laughs> but that's sort of the way that it goes. So, like, it raises this sort of it's an deeper question. Movie. You know, is yeah. is a brand, what is a brand? You know, and to me, a brand is, you know, a set of principles that allow you to uh, make good on a promise. Mm-hmm. And making good on that promise has much more to do with, you know, the way that you work and how you get a job done than any particular kind of way to sort of form an infrastructure. And I think that's what's interesting to me about these cycles, right? To see, okay, how does that how does that survive and evolve in these different times? Because right. there may be another time where it's like, oh shit, like you might have to, to scale. It's irresponsible not to scale up. Right. Right. There might be other times where it's like it's irresponsible not to scale down. Right. Right. And can you maintain relationships through all of that? Mm-hmm. Because that's the biggest win. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's you know, it's hard to, it's been hard, you know, it's been an emotional month or so here, as mm-hmm. you know. And, um, but the thing is, we are, yeah, it's, there's the irony in that we're a gorilla evolving mm-hmm. um, into something new. And we've got a lot of things, like I'm not trying to, we've got a lot of exciting things lined up that are yep. happening this fall. They're just happening on a smaller scale that, allows us to have to change what the face of Gorilla looks like. And there'll be continued changes. Things are going to keep changing a little bit, but it's also the 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 mantra of a little more human isn't going to change in what we do, you know? Well, and that's like, and that's to Keaton's point, right? When you say smaller scale, I think this is the thing that is, for those that are listening to this, that are heading into this industry or young in this industry or want to get into it, it's just like smaller scale, what we're referring to is how we work right? The reality is, is that we're pitching something to Netflix right now. And it is going, when it goes, it's going to be a meaningful documentary project. We've already had an in-person meeting there and we'll probably have another one in the next month or so, it sounds like. It's right. going to be really cool. It doesn't matter but the size of your the, company. The yeah. image no. that yeah. it presents of you versus the way that you produce that project. Well, we're going to produce that project in tandem with these other you know, film entities and there's all these partnerships that have to go on behind the scenes right, to make right, it right. viable for Netflix. And like, nobody sees that. They're just going to see a poster and like, oh, they made that cool thing. Therefore, that chair they must, must have be made of- out of gold. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? When nobody, in reality yeah. is like, we're making that because that's what we said we wanted to do 15 years ago. We're not making that because, you know, we're laughing our way to the bank. Like, that's just not how it works. Nobody, <laughs> Nobody's, like, we've tried to stress to our subject of the film who is a, a cranky eccentric mm-hmm. living in northern Michigan. I'm not doing this for free. I'm not doing this for free. I got to get paid. I got to get paid. And, um, and does he know that you're not getting paid? Either? Well, it's like, well, <laughs> the, the, the explanation is, listen, no one's getting rich on this. But as soon as you have that Netflix original tag on something, like Eric says, everyone thinks we've got, you know, golden thrones that we're sitting on. Mm-hmm. It's just not the way of it. And it's hard no. to, uh, you know, being being disrespectful of, I don't know, the, the, the it's hard to explain that in a way that's not sounding like you're, you know, asking for pity either. Like, right. Because you're definitely not. Yeah, the you're artists, working, it's a hard, the indie... You, 
model is difficult. <laughs> yeah, and and like we can't get a meeting at we got a meeting at Netflix, but we couldn't get a meeting at Netflix until we partnered with somebody who already works with Netflix. You know, right. they've already got a documentary series on Netflix. Well, we put together the pitch materials, partnered with them. They liked it. They sent it through. You know, six days later, we were at Netflix. If me and Eric had just sent it through, they never would have responded. Right. Because they need to have, because they would, they already get thousands of pitches a year. If they don't have some sort of gates that you have oh, yeah. to go through, it's yeah. it would be tens of thousands of pitches. And they want to look at everything, but. We learned that the hard way in MANA. We're like, yeah. when we got funded for MANA, we're like, all right, casting. And we'd yeah. be like, send things out. And agents would just be like, no. And we're like, wait a minute. No, like, no, we have like a, we have like a talent budget. We have <laughs> a like, fun role. Yeah, but we don't know who you effers are. <laughs> yeah. <Right>. And, <laughs> and you're, and you're asking them to go to Northern Michigan <laughs> to stay in a cabin <laughs> And it stars Gary Busey. <laughs> like it's, you're, it sounds like a shit show that they're sending their clients into, and they're trying to protect their right. clients. Right. You know. So on the surface, you present that stuff and say, like, "Well, okay, we we completed this film. It's out in the world, mm -hmm. and we market it." But the reality is, is that the way a film career often works, or you know, a career in this industry, is that you take your shots on things. And you're paying for education all the way. It's mm. it's it's a constant reinvestment in your education. Right. And so some of these right. things, you know, just because they're not profitable doesn't mean they're not valuable. Mm -hmm. But from the outside, it's very difficult to tell the difference. Oh yeah, and I think that's what I was asking with the original question. And it's just because like perception versus reality is a tricky beast for any industry, for any creative, for any human. To like the thing I, online right now, you can project a certain reality or perception that just could be woefully untrue. Um, and I think Gorilla has been very good at projecting its image, but that doesn't necessarily mean that someone's idea of Gorilla is true. Um, like, and that the reality is also, if you really want to know what's going on, you could probably email Eric or Eric and they will respond. <laughs> I'll <laughs> actually tell you, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what's going on. But I think that's what I'm getting at, though, is just like, well, in what sense, right? Because if you say, well, what, you know, how big is this brand in terms of what you're capable of? A hell of a lot bigger than it was eight years ago. Sure. Just the amount of experience that we've had when we say we can solve a creative problem, we can. And it's taken a lot of hard work to do that. Trying to pair that with a size of infrastructure is it's the wrong way to look at it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, so a lot of people out there that are listening to this, they'll know Hungry Man, right? Hungry Man is one of the biggest sort of, you know, yeah, production, production agencies, agencies yeah. right? Six people work there. Mm -hmm. It's, in, I mean, this brand is building the coolest shit you've seen. You know, hilarious commercials. They've really got their finger on the pulse of a lot of like really fun and funny content for big brands, plays during the Super Bowl, things like that, Right. But the reality is, is like the way they manage their infrastructure is much different than what you would assume from looking at the content using all of your preconceived notions of how an industry should work. Right. Right. And that's what we've been playing with here is to go like, well, what does it look like if, it, if we operate, you know, version A or version B or version C? And I think we'll continue to evolve and learn as it goes, not just on the commercial side, but also on the entertainment side, right? Like we made Mana. We said like, we're going to 
save up some uh, of our own resources, and then we're going to go garner investment. We're going to make this thing. Well, what did we learn from that? We learned that the best way to create things is to give away ownership, work in partnership, because that's what's going to get you a, a seat at a new table that moves you up. So with this new documentary that we're doing, we went out and did that. We learned from that experience, and we went out and did that. It's going to take iterations oh, yeah. to continue to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Much like... Starting a podcast where you don't know what you're doing and you just figure it out as you go. Right. But the podcast is an example of <coughs> what we really are, which is people who love, without being too cheesy, it's just, I love, we love creating. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's why this podcast has been really cool to see grow and be consistent with because it's really easy to like fall off, you know, the it's consistency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you were such a, champion to make sure especially early on like who we got these guests lined up we need these guests we need this i'm, I'm going on a vacation for two weeks we got to backlog some episodes here so that we can stay consistent mm -hmm. and that was a big part of it and um yeah but even moving forward all the stuff we're doing if it's a seven second instagram video for back to school supplies or it's an 80 minute feature length documentary on netflix it's all it's creating it's all different levels of creating but it's all I don't know. It's what we want to keep doing. Right. And that's sure. where the brand continues to grow, mm -hmm. right? Because those skill sets continue to grow. The spectrum on which you can play just gets wider and wider and wider and wider. And you have those opportunities to kind of, yeah, take a Netflix thing or do a social ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I think that still remains really fun for us. Mm -hmm. Good. See, you weren't ready for that question, and I appreciate I you going it. with me. With, no, it's on good. That I loved one. it. Um, all right, the uh, <laughs> we're, we're Eric Heemstra, How long have we been going? We've been going for about forty-five minutes. Perfect. Okay, cool. Because I have to be somewhat aware of the time because you have a phone call, Mashila. Oh, that's so good. We um, so one of the other things that I wanted to ask you guys. Um, well, I want you guys can ask me questions as well, which I'll leave <laughs> at, for at the end. Because um, I got to interview you at the very front end of this, so I wanted to leave you a little bit of window to you. Yeah. To go back <laughs> this way. Because um, I found that I get really awkward when I get asked questions because I'm not used to responding instantly, um, especially when it comes to questions about fatherhood like Cole kept doing. I was mm -hmm. like, I was just like emotionally wrecked for like the rest of the afternoon <laughs> after those ones. But anyways, uh, um, the project that both of you are most excited about right now when it comes to future setting, and we kind of touched on a few of them, but I am curious, like for both of you, where you're sitting at right now, that like, hey, this is the thing that keeps me motivated to keep creating in in line with what we were just discussing. You want to take this one first? Well, it's the it's the Eric future Mishima length. First. Yeah, it's the future length documentary we've been trying to get going for five years about a man who clones trees, mm -hmm. the world's oldest uh, sequoias and redwoods. Black willows, oaks, maples, etc. He's mm -hmm. cloned 140 different species of trees and is continuing to do so. That's a really that great very project. close to your heart. Yeah, yeah. it's a. I, I'm big on you know the environmental element of it, um, but just it's going to rebrand. I've I've actually told this story many times, but I was following Eric and Seth between two. Amway Farms in Washington mm -hmm. one time. <laughs> and this is like right after I'd gotten associated with this guy and started to hear his stories and had met him and read his book and things. And started noticing things. Yeah, you start to notice things. Like He's educating you on deforestation. Things just like the this. effect of pine beetles is, this, is the example here specifically. And we were driving along the Cascade Range for a long way. 
And at one point, there was probably a 10 to 20 mile stretch where all the trees were dead. On both sides of the road, just dead trees, all from pine beetle and right. drought. And when we got to afraid, we got to the farm in Washington. I was like, did you guys see all those dead trees back there? And Eric and Seth, probably they were talking as well. Um, but they were like, no. And also they probably had no idea what those would look like. With yeah, you just, you don't notice that stuff. So that, that film is really important just in terms of, it's a film about rebranding trees, but it's also gonna be a hell of a lot of fun. And wildly beautiful. Right. Working with an incredible team on it. Yeah, the cinematographer, probably shouldn't say who, but yeah, just he's really, legit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that one's exciting from an, from every angle, artistically, right. um, socially. The you know. story's powerful. I mean, yeah, and and David, the subject of the film, is getting quite a bit older, and so there's an urgency in it as well. Right. Um, and then this show that we I've talked about on this podcast a couple of times, but this thing we're meeting with Chris came in tomorrow and he's really trying to bring and help destigmatize mental health in men out to the open, open you know? Mm-hmm. Like I've told you, the, mm-hmm. the show that's, um, you know, manly men doing manly activities, talking about not so manly things. And you say, they are manly, I, I get you. But I'm talking about <laughs> in the general sense of it. And that's a we're, really- We're trying to rebrand <laughs> what you think of when you say that word. Yeah, yeah and, and uh, Chris is, that's going to be a really fun one because that is a micro, micro like an ecosystem of content. Yep. It's going to be a social thing. It's going to be small form videos. It's going to be long form podcasts, both in an adventure mode and in a discussion mode. And not only will it be entertaining and interesting and exciting, it'll also be, I think, potentially super important. Right. You know, there's this one podcast that I learned about that I don't listen to. Um, but I learned about it through This American Life, and it's about, um, it's called Sober. Mm-hmm. And it's these two guys who are, you know, recovering, or they're drug addicts, and they basically use this show. They initially started with the show, you talk about an evolution of a podcast. It was initially them just being, t- telling funny drug stories, like things they did when they were high. <laughs> oh, man. And bringing people on and having them tell crazy stories. Right. And then suddenly they realized through their online like group they were gathering, they were actually saving lives inadvertently. They were actually right. having people right. dedicated to staying sober because of hearing these stories, hearing their examples of, with sobriety now. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we're gonna, who knows? I mean, but that's what this yeah, potential well, show could be about. Chris, mental being health stories. Chris being an ex-NBA all-star obviously gives yeah. us mm-hmm. a jump start on that, right? right? Like just building that platform. Well, yeah. In that vein, uh, Steve-O is a YouTuber now. Oh, but he has been sober for seven years. Uh huh. And has he had pants on? <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, the, <laughs> dude is always naked. Yeah, but like he, his <laughs> his story and like the stuff he does. I mean, he's still Steve-O. I mean, he's still crazy. Mm-hmm. But like, he's no longer out of his mind, high and on anything that yeah. you could get his hands on. And he can talk about all of it in such an interesting fashion. It's like. It, it's some. It's worth checking out because of he relives all these past stuff, but he talks now of like, oh, I was actually really drunk here. Or I was really st-, like all of the things. Like he he retells them in a new framework, and he's like, I was a total idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but like, you look at something as like someone that's like, oh, you're doing this for attention, but oh no, actually, you like really sad and fucked up. Mm-hmm. And like you yeah. can look at that differently now. And he's yeah, it's just he's recreated his whole life. It's pretty cool. Yeah, hopefully that, that thing with Chris will will help do that. I think that 
he has a a unique voice that you know is not for everyone mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> but it is very much for some people yes. and i think that recognizing that and saying like the target audience for some, for this is very clear to us and I think it's a cool opportunity to maybe share some information. I with think it's that a bit more of like this isn't as common. Yeah, in those circles. You, if you the stere- like, forgive me if this is the wrong language, but like, like alpha male, like stereotypical, like I've got it all. I'm fine. No one needs to like. I don't need to. I don't need any help. Like that's the kind of guy that you would want to like listen to. Yeah, well, I, he think, I think anybody yeah. that like is a you know, a fan of Chris's sort of world, whether it's basketball or outdoors stuff. Mm-hmm. I think if, I think all of us probably could use a little encouragement <laughs> towards, <laughs> you know, paying attention to our own mental health. Oh, I Especially agree. as you get into your, maybe I'm just speaking for myself now, but like as you get into your thirties, <laughs> life gets yeah, a little no, more complicated. Like I know for me, like it's been very meaningful encouragement even seeing like Chris go through this to like do some work on my own. It's mm-hmm. been good. Mm-hmm. That's, it's true. Uh, I've already, with all the articles I've read and stuff, I've, you know, you start to turn the whatever back on yourself a little turn bit. Turn the camera on yourself. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, you just, it's just, so that's, those are two things. I mean, there's a couple other things that we're working on some, some writing opportunities and things that are really exciting. But in terms of two things that are really keeping the motor going. It's those cool. things. What about you, EJ? Oh, well, one one we just finished. And um, mm-hmm. my God, I just, I know I keep on giving shout outs, but it's a wrap up episode. You're allowed to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> no, we just did a project that uh, Valerie and I co-directed together. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, I'm yeah. not saying this to try to like ele- elevate or anything. This is just like, it's the sort of thing we're talking about, right? Like what the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, because I know this goes on behind the scenes of a whole bunch of different companies, right? right. But like, we just did this very small documentary, mm-hmm. 11 minutes long. Um, and Cambridge edited it. Scott awesome. Cambridge has been on the podcast. He's just incredible at this kind of stuff. Um, and it was just a profile of this woman who had breast cancer, recovered, and then it metastasized and became terminal. And um, she has this amazing organization called Hope Scarves and, you know, with mutual friends and all this sort of stuff. And somebody called us and said, hey, we got this event coming up. Do you guys know any food vendors that might be willing to donate some food? And Valerie being awesome took the call and she was like, well, we could probably do something. And then that just evolved from one thing to the next to the next to like, oh, we're okay, we'll shoot some coverage of this event, right? right. And then you meet this woman and you're like, we should probably interview her. And then you go interview her at her childhood home in Whitehall and then you realize that there's a whole conspiracy in the town, of, you know, that has to do with chemicals being dumped in the lake she played in as a kid. And you're like, I think we need to go a little deeper. And then you meet her whole family and you're like, oh my gosh, this is unjust. It, like you just go deeper and deeper. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're just attached to this person. And it isn't even about doing, you know, originally I was like, oh, we could do a friend a favor. You know what I mean? And by the end of it, that's not what it is about at all. It's about it all. It's like, hey, this person's story is really important. And I think like, we have a responsibility to tell it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that earned knowledge, right? That thing that like, well, I have this thing that I fought really hard to educate myself on and fought really hard to become good at. I And I can I could quit right now or I could see a way to keep on using it. And so in that case, like Valerie and I worked together to to produce this documentary and it's really cool. Like Lara, really this woman, Lara, like she is incredible. And it's not me and Val, 
It's her just being incredibly vulnerable and incredibly honest. And she has a family and young kids. And I mean, it really, I love projects that put things in perspective. You know, whether it's what we did with Peter Pyuk, you know, Mm -hmm. last year or a couple of years ago, something like this. Like for me, it was just like, let's Mm -hmm. go deeper and let's tell this story. Yeah, like what we did with David Wenzel. Yeah. Yeah. Let's create a thing that, that, Let's create a profile of this incredible person that can live with her family for forever, that right. her kids can go back and watch. I mean, the weird thing is, is we went and we would She's go terminally film. She's terminally ill, right? Yeah. So we would go film. And normally, like when I'm filming like documentary style, like I'll be capturing thinking about the edit, right? So I know all the angles I want to get and I'm just racing because I know like there's barely any time and I need to cover all these angles. And I started filming with her and her family. We're on the beach and they were like, playing frisbee and like just hanging out. They went for this hike and I just kept on rolling through the cards. Like I just am like, I'm not going to cut. I'm not going to cut anything. And I just kept on recording because I'm in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I actually think this random ass B-roll is probably going to be at some point in these people's lives as valuable as whatever this sort of neatly edited thing is. And so Mm. that was a, that was a really fun, fun project. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited about that one and really proud of it. And I'm really proud of Valerie because she crushed it on that. Um, HopeScarves.com, I believe, is the name of her organization. Dot org. Or dot .org, maybe. Yeah, if you look up HopeScarves on Google, you'll find out about it. But the, I don't know that they've posted the video yet. Yeah, it's a nonprofit it, that it, she just founded when it. she first got breast cancer. And it's uh, it's still going and it's... It's, it's awesome. It's really awesome. It's, we'll, a, it's we'll the get reason some info the, for all this stuff in the show notes. Mm-hmm. It just gives meaning to work, mm-hmm. I think. And that's why, and I, I won't go into it, but the Delta Project is the other one. It's just oh, yeah. like, and we talk about that frequently on this podcast. And, and, that, and that thing's getting farther and farther away from a film project <laughs> and more and more just into, a, hey, I think like, we need to keep on figuring out how to make this thing happen. Yeah, I'd you like know, to make and it that becomes nonprofit. yeah, yeah. nonprofit mm-hmm. infrastructure, and you know, at some point, like, great film was the gateway that revealed this problem to us in a way where we could get involved, and mm-hmm. let's just keep on taking those steps mm-hmm. forward. So, cool. Those are exciting to me. Cool. I don't have any other questions for you guys. Do you guys have any questions for me before uh, we yes say goodbye? Just yes. season one. Oh yeah, you got to answer some. Okay, so first question, because I am like, maybe it sounds patronizing on something like this, but uh, you know, Caton, I am very excited for you. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I've known you for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Since we're, what, like 15, you were 15 maybe? 15 or 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were young. We were very young. And, um, you know, worked here for five years and watched incredible, like, just see, there I go with the likes, just incredible growth over time and adding to your skill sets and all these sorts of things. I'm very excited to see you now take all of those things, plus all of the amazing qualities that you had coming into this job and put it all together in a package and go do something really cool with it. Like I'm excited to watch. As your friend, I'm excited to be alongside of you in a new way when Mm -hmm. you do that. But I'm curious from you, like, I'm not fishing, so you can talk about gorilla or something else. I don't care. But what do you think of the last five years you'll take into that? What is the most Mm, meaning that you'll take into that? Mm -hmm. You know? 
Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think hands down, number one is the relationships in general from this place. I think there's no, uh, I said this at our, we had a little going away thing at the meanwhile a week ago. And in my hardest times in life, it, for what my life is, like when my son had surgery and it was the week after Camp Mana was released, which was your guys' dream baby, and I was like leading the social media campaign, there was no concern on your guys' part about what I was contributing to the movie, even though I was still contributing. In uh, that level, you guys were asking questions about my son. So for me, the, that you, your guys' priorities have always been in the right place. So when it comes to people... And so for me, the what I'll take is, you know, I mean, a lot of people talk uh, about loving people, but if your actions aren't following up with that, then you, you, it's quite obvious, in my opinion. So for me, what I, I and I, that was that was a quality of that I, I had before I came here, but I think for it's sure. only grown more so in a working environment because um, I've had previous jobs where like you can't. I've, People tried to embody in that, but the second anything got real tough, it came down to the numbers, or it came down to the schedule, or it came down to the work only. And like sometimes life throws you curveballs that you can't do those things. Um, and it's really important to have people that have your back in a way that really actually have your back. Um, and there's no bottom line to that piece of the puzzle, which is very hard. Uh, it's it's hard on many, many levels. So for me, I, I want to take that. Also, um, I've always loved stories. I mean, like everyone knows this about me at this point. Like I'm a huge book nerd and I've, mm. I like superhero movies and like I've always loved that stuff. But like, and I thought I could tell good stories and uh, I thought I could, knew what good stories were. And um, I also am the easiest person to please when it <laughs> comes to content in general. Um, I think I've gotten a better critical mind now that I didn't have when I first came here. So like, uh, I am still really easy to please because like when people make something, I want to champion that first. Mm -hmm. I don't let it go out the door now though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Before, before I can make it as good as I can see it being. I think um, that's great. So like yes. for me, that's a, that's a big one. Um, I think, what? It was always fun to show you first edits though and, be, and just see like you like, this is great. And I'm like, good. good. <laughs> yeah. And like and, internally, and you, like, you, you definitely were like, oh, we need a little pick me up show Kate. First. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you need a little cheerleader on something that's not going all that smoothly. Right. Well, because like did, I think, well, one of the things that is very true about not just filmmakers, but creators in general is that everyone is like so insanely hard on themselves and the expectations are just, in my opinion, way too high <laughs> and it generally leads to some kind of insecurity. And for me, like I've always been able to see the merit in the thing itself. So it doesn't really matter. Like if it, I know you want to make it as good as you can be, but sometimes like li life doesn't let you make it that way or you might not be able to get there fully, but it doesn't mean that it, there is an inherent value in the act of making it. I think and, that's where there's good tension, right? Because I think that we could get carried away with perfecting, right? And Eric and I have that incredibly like dry sense of humor where we like to, we we find joy in self-deprecation, right? Like it's actually like a coping mechanism and that drives you insane. Oh, I hate it so much. <laughs> but so I think like you helped pull us towards like, hey, like 
people need to hear you be positive about this. When in reality, we're like, oh yeah, dude, we love this thing. We're just being ourselves. You know what I mean? And I think like you did a really good job over the years of helping us realize that's great. Go do that together then, like over a beer. Like maybe just, <laughs> can you just posture a little bit more for everybody else? Because they don't realize that you love this thing that you're like, you know, making jokes about. Like mm -hmm. that's, we mm -hmm. get, that's maybe mm -hmm. that's your language, but that's not everybody's language. Right. So I think yeah. the tension in between, I think we have like worked really hard to pull you towards like a more critical eye, but I think you've also worked really hard to pull us towards maybe, maybe not being so intense sometimes yeah. stepping back. Yeah, there could be, um, there, this media form could probably benefit from more, from more people who really love what they do. Mm -hmm. Like um, I've heard it say that I love Tarantino movies, but I've heard it say nobody loves Tarantino movies more than Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell that guy loves his stuff. Mm -hmm. He loves, Christoph Waltz told, I heard him on a podcast talking about this one time, that in order to get that role of Hans Landa in Glorious Bastards, he had Tarantino like flew to Germany and read the entire script out loud, like acting on every part except for Hans Landa's parts. And I'm just like, wow, that guy loves his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why those films are so fun to watch is you can feel the joy in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you have that. Yeah. yeah. I think oh, that's yeah. what you're trying to say, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah you, you have that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and so that's what I'm really excited. But I mean, on this recent Meyer thing, right? We had the first edit and it, um, we had some thoughts and suggestions. We presented it to Meyer and they were crying in the room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we looked over and the three clients were crying. We're like, well, I guess it's working emotionally for them. They, you know, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. but now how do we make it better, right? Now let's make right. sure we can cap, right. optimize it. Right. Yeah, to its no, 100%. Point. Yeah. Um, I, I think the final thing that I would take is... Wait, he didn't get a question. Oh, I was going to... Can he have one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say the final thing that I would take into the... Uh, oh, oh, sorry. Next job um, is um, it's it's a little bit of what we just were talking about when it comes to like the not being satisfied. I think I've I always have been, been pretty hungry to learn in different regards. Not necessarily like I want to learn how to operate a camera, but I do want to learn how to operate within the rooms that I'm in when it comes to the different kinds of people that I've been interacting with. And like that has, that hunger has only grown um, in the last five years. So th for me, like I want to continue to, like I, this next one is going to be where I will be leading people. So I'm like, how am I going to embody those traits that I've like looked up to and also care about? So like, how can I learn how to do that really well? Um, so that's, that's my last thing, sorry. Well, and I hope sometimes it might be just phone a friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I guess mine is a little. I was just been thinking about what, what I want to ask because I could ask a lot of questions about gorilla. But I think you Eric, could, I you think could Eric, ask anything you want. I think Eric asked a really, really great, like gorilla centric question. And you had said earlier you love. I mean, you even probably love Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Look um, at his so, face. You can't see his face. He's not even ashamed of himself. Uh, yeah, I definitely had a blast in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> are, you kidding, um, are you kidding me when Superman first lands and the sound is like, I mean, all of Batman's tricks on him are awesome to watch. <laughs> like, I I can fully get into my six-year-old self and love it. <laughs> it's incredible. But, okay, so I'm just fascinated by it because I had one foot out the door when the credits were rolling. I was like, 
Oh, I stayed to the end credit scene. No, nah, just my problem with those DC movies is the end becomes CG. Oh, Even I with Wonder yeah, Woman. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. Ones that sort of work. They need to stay rooted. That's why Shazam was fun. Yes, I actually agree with that. Um, <laughs> I too so love Shazam. Out of what's that thing? And you love reading and absorbing music mm -hmm. and things. Mm -hmm. What's that book and that song that you return to all the time because it makes you cry? And why? Oh shit! Nice question. Um, uh, the book. Um, oh geez, is called "Telling Secret." Telling Secrets by Frederick Beekner. It's a memoir mm -hmm. uh, about his experience with his father committing suicide. I, my father did not commit suicide, <laughs> uh, but there was something about that book that when I first read it, I read it in college, and it. Um, I think it, it. I think most of my ethos kind of developed around he, what he was trying to tell his readers, um, and it, is that everything that you that is dark and ugly will eventually come out, no matter what. So you should tell your own secrets to the world because um, you, you then can be empowered in that act instead of. Uh, other people discovering it and then writing that story for you. So I wrote an essay about it in college. Like it was my senior thesis. Uh, I returned to that book on occasion throughout the years. And um, it's really, for me, something that um, has formed a lot of my thinking when it comes to friendships and people and philosophy in general uh, about like being vulnerable and open. And um, like, like I know this is a cheesy analogy, but it's very much like Eight Mile when Eminem gets up on stage and he. And like, now you lost me. But, <laughs> like, but like he, I, know, like, I love that part. But like he, but like he puts himself on blast for like seven minutes straight. Yeah. And the guy has nothing left to say back to him, and it's because like he was like, I know my flaws fully. I know who I am. I know where I come from. I know my own shit. Here it is. Uh -huh. And the guy has literally nothing left to say because uh, he laid it out, everything on the table. So for me, that's like how I've always functioned. Um, at Frederick's words and how he goes about doing that is, in my opinion, <laughs> a much more eloquent way than Eminem does. Um, and then there's, um, I gotta remember the name of it. Uh, Chris Caraba. No, Chris no, that Caraba. was a great answer. While you're looking, <laughs> no, that's a great answer. While you're looking that up, there was the other. Frederick Buchner book that me and Eric were gifted yeah. early on. Telling the truth. Yeah. Ironically, that's the. Yeah. Not that's, ironically, I guess he did that on purpose. Yeah, it's like I guess there's a, and it's the gospel is tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. That's one of his best ones. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I'd say Telling Secrets is, in my opinion, his best work ever. I think he's the yeah. most honest and vulnerable in that one, and he, I mean, it's it's pretty like just blunt, which is I mean it's a memoir. Um, yeah, you have to read the lyrics to the song here that you... Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm trying oh. to... Hang on, sorry. This, I, talk about something else for like three seconds while I look it up. Because my Michael brain is w. scrambling. Smith, my place in this world. Um, <sighs> Not a lot to lean on. I need your heart. Need need your life. Oh, my no. brain is like literally... Uh, Me Without You is the name of the band. Oh. Um, the lyrics are, I do not exist. I faithfully insist. Only you exist. Um, it's, oh, it's the last album on... Oh, brother, what the name? Fuck, hang on. I will find the name of it. I really want to... Um, this is going to be a editing spot. And a sweater poorly knit <laughs> is the name of the song. 
and a sweater poorly knit is the name of the song, and it's uh, Me Without You. It I I will listen to that song like once a year, once every six months, uh, in transitional periods, and I don't know. There's something. It's like a very it's like a very ADD visceral intense lyrical song, but there's like these moments of like bliss that also happen within it. And uh, I have, I mean, <laughs> I, d I have a tattoo that says I do not exist on my arm um, based from this song. And I, I return to that song all the time. Fun fact, Eric mm -hmm. and I were a Shane Claiborne mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Me without you. Mm -hmm. And uh, Eric and I were in the, what did they, they lived in some like compound in Ken Kensington? In Philly? Yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, and Shay Claiborne and all those guys all live together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're pretty connected with that, actually. Well, and I were early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, yeah. I mean, they're an odd bunch of guys for sure. And they still put out music that I think is pretty incredible. But like that song has just always been quite powerful because it really talks about mystery and uh, if you want to say God or whatever in a very, in ways that I can resonate with. So I'm into that. Yeah, man. Good stuff. Did I answer those questions? That was awesome. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Sorry, well, sorry if I was peppering it with too no, much I, commentary. No, I know that I was like, I, I was struggling because like my brain's like, you know this band really well. What's going on? Like, you know, when you just had that blank space because you're like, figure it out. Yeah. Um, but no, I think for me, as we wrap this up, uh, I just want to say thanks for the opportunity to actually do the podcast and let me host it. It's been a lot of fun. Hopefully we can pick it up in season two and um, do some more of them. That'd be fun. In short order. It be would great. be really fun. Cool. I, I agree with you. Thanks for... All your work on it, man. Yeah, buddy. Okay. All right. Bye. Um, one more shout oh, out to Kyle Campbell, actually. Not quite yet. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Did we shout out to him already? I don't remember. Double no. shout out. Yeah. Kyle's Just cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.